Hi, this is Robin Curtis, and I played Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek 3 and 4. You're listening to Rico on Treks and Sci-Fi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Treks and Sci-Fi. This is Rico, your host for podcast number 158 for Sunday, January 20th, 2008. Well, of course, the big news to talk about this week will be the Star Trek movie teaser trailer, which just showed up in theaters uh, this past Friday, just a couple of days ago. We'll be talking about that quite a bit. Uh, also this week on the show, we're going to be looking at some other Gene Roddenberry projects, basically some sci-fi television movies he did back in the mid-70s that have a lot of Star Trek connections and themes in them. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to look at something uh, a little bit different than a usual uh, Star Trek episode. So I, uh, I think you're going to enjoy that. We're going to look at mainly at about three of his films that he did at that time. Also, I've got a collectible later on, some comments from listeners, and some news about the movie, of course, and lots of other goodies. I'm going to start out the show with a, a little bit of audio I captured on Friday night when uh, my friend Mark, my son Eric, and I went to see Cloverfield, which I'll be also talking about on this show. And we uh, happened to see the Star Trek teaser trailer. So here we are with uh, that little audio clip from Inside the Movie Theater on Friday night. There you have it. The audio uh, f- captured Friday night uh, in front of Cloverfield uh, of the Star Trek teaser trailer. Now, uh, I hope everyone, uh, you know, there's a shaky version of this on YouTube. And, you know, they frankly didn't show a lot in this trailer. But I am going to be discussing that here in the next few minutes. Uh, but I'm just giving you a little bit of a warning here. If uh, you don't want this trailer spoiled for you, uh, if you haven't had a chance to see it, and that would bother you. Skip ahead a couple of minutes, maybe, in the podcast. All right? 
So let's get right into the trailer. Uh, before we get into anything else on this week's podcast, uh, I had basically had already heard that the trailer would just be a very short teaser, would just show some effect shots primarily. You wouldn't really see any of the cast or crew, and all that turned out to be true. Basically, it's it's just a, a way to build some excitement. Uh, it looks to be that they're showing the Enterprise, uh, the Enterprise NCC-1701, you know, basically Pike's, Kirk's Enterprise, being constructed what appears to be uh, on Earth. It appears to be on Earth or on some planet. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be in, on Earth in the San Francisco area, which is sort of the way it was supposed to have been. Typically, if you look back in um, Star Trek history books, what's uh, talked about on screen a little bit, it's always been sort of assumed that the ship was built in pieces on Earth and then kind of assembled in space, kind of like the International Space Station is these days. Well, this preview, although it was a little hard to tell exactly, at least for me, the, it, it appears that almost the ship itself is being assembled on the ground, uh, maybe almost completely. Now, this is an early teaser trailer. There's been a lot of talk on a lot of different forums, uh, the Trex and Sci-Fi forums, other ones that I visit about this whole situation, that this doesn't really make sense. The ship shouldn't be completely built on Earth and then somehow towed out into space or whatever will happen. Well, first I just have to say, you know, this is early. It Who knows what this is? There have been some even uh, rumors and talk that maybe this isn't really going to be in the film the way you're seeing it here. Who, who knows? I don't know. Um, and I don't really, frankly, want to know everything yet. Again, I think this is just to build some excitement for the movie. The other bit of controversy is is the look of the ship itself. Uh, it does look uh, fairly different than you know Kirk's Enterprise. You know the basic shape and, and um, primary hull and engines and everything like that looks to be in the usual spots and places. But of course they're they're kind of jazzing it up or souping it up and making it look uh, a fair bit different than the original Enterprise. It appears to be at least at this point. So. Whether that's good, bad, whatever, I, you know, sure it would have been maybe nice to see the, you know, something a little closer to the original ship on the screen, but I completely understand J.J. Abrams and company, uh, their reasons for doing this. You know, they're targeting basically the the high school kids. I, I mean, high school kids that have never seen an episode of the original series. Now, do, you know, is that a big problem? For me, it isn't. For some people, it might be. I don't know. I'm okay. I, I, I'm willing to keep an open mind about it all. We'll see how this all turns out. Uh, I'm just happy that we're getting some Star Trek, that we're getting some new Star Trek on the big screen. Uh, I still have very high hopes for the movie. I, I think J.J. has really proved himself time and time again It's somebody who can really bring some excitement and uh, a new twist on things. I think he did that in the last Mission Impossible movie. I think he did that in the TV show Alias and a lot of other projects, and in this movie Cloverfield, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. So I'm geeked up. I'm excited. The trailer is out there. I hope, I think, I've been hearing tomorrow, Monday, it should show up in digital form for everyone to kind of analyze on the Internet. So look for that tomorrow. It is, hey, it is what it is at this point. You can enjoy it or not. That's up to the individual. I'm not going to try to convince anyone one way or the other. Everyone can make up their own mind on that. But I'm excited, and it is, uh, it's Star Trek. I mean, whether it's a little bit different, you know, 
that's just something that we're going to have to either accept or not accept. And uh, I think that's about it. I want to talk about uh, other things on the show. We've got a lot to cover this week. So uh, let's get to those things. Okay, briefly, I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, while we're kind of in that time frame and topic, I'm going to talk about the movie Cloverfield. I thought I'd give you a quick little rundown on that. I won't say a lot. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I know there's a lot of people out there that are having trouble with, you know, this film is shot with basically uh, kind of a uh, camcorder viewpoint where there's a lot of shaking and things going on, and it's a monster movie, basically. Uh, if you enjoy those kinds of things, I think you'd enjoy this movie. It is different. It is the type of movie I think that people will remember for quite a long time. The people on Friday night when I saw it seemed to uh, enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, it's got some genuine thrills and chills. It's different. Uh, I think uh, the actors did a good job. And I, I like them giving a, uh, a shot to young, new actors. They did this movie very uh, inexpensively. Partly due to that and the way it was filmed and everything. I think it only cost like $28,000, $30,000. They're having a great opening weekend. And I, I like people to try new things with film. And they definitely did that here. Of course, it's sort of a cross between maybe Godzilla and the Blair Witch Project and the way they did it. But I think it works. And it works pretty well. So uh, if it looks like it's something that interests you, go check it out in the theaters. This is, trust me, this is not the kind of movie if it interests you that you want to wait for. Uh, video and DVD. You want to really see this with some people in the theater to kind of have that roller coaster ride effect with them. So go see it soon. Okay, on the uh, Trek movie front, a little bit more on that. Uh, the Adam Carolla show, who is a comedian, used to do The Man Show with Jimmy Kimmel. He has a show, and he did a little uh, interview with J.J. Abrams, where they get into talking about the Trek movie, uh, William Shatner, and a few other little tidbits. And I thought uh, that I would play a little of that for you right now. Well, J.J. Abrams, uh, that same logic is not going to carry over into your next project, Star Trek. Yeah. Because people are well aware of that. Uh, are you working on that currently? Yeah, we're shooting right now. And are you? how much pressure do you feel from all the crazed Star Trek fans, and what would you like to say to Shatner, who's a PO'd that he's not starring in it? <laughs> what a blowhard. <laughs> come on. Come on. Jesus that's like Christ. when Adam West no, was no, like, no. how come I'm not in the Batman movie? You know, it's no, ridiculous. The, the, the is, Even you know, on the moon, he weighs 300 pounds. <laughs> no, come on. Shatner, he, he's, he's, he's like an icon. He's an amazing guy. I desperately wanted to put him in the movie. We're putting Leonard Nimoy in. The, the truth is that... that oh. The fact is that Shatner died. His character died in the movie. I mean, he shot the scene in a movie where Kirk dies. Right. So if I put him in, you know, it would feel like we're It's going to ruin it. the reality of space travel in the future. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, come on. I, 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 I just think it was, it was, it was tricky. But, but the fact is that this movie, I was never the kind of Star Trek fan that I knew. Like, I knew people who were just insane about it. And for me... I, I certainly liked it, but but it, it, it was never something that I felt like you know like the Twilight Zone was my show. You know, what right. I mean? like I don't know. And I think the reason I'm doing this movie is the script was was great, and you don't have to know a thing about Star Trek to see this movie and get on board and love the characters. So I, it, we're making it for the fans on the one hand, but the truth is, 
I, we're making this movie. I'm making this movie for people who don't know a thing about Star Trek. You, you want it to stand alone, and it exactly. it's, it seems like that's the trend. I mean, if you saw the last James Bond movie, that's if right. you'd never heard of James Bond, it just exactly. would have been a good spy thriller. Exactly. That's right. Exactly All right, right. So Cloverfield comes out uh, this Friday, correct? This Friday, that's right. I'm going to go see it uh, today. Okay, there uh, you have a little bit of uh, a taste of J.J.'s uh, uh, comments about Trek and Shatner and everything. I think it's pretty interesting. It's uh, things that we've heard all along. He's making this movie for everyone, not just the fans, but he, I think, is going to try to be respectful uh, to a degree. Yes, there are going to be changes, but he is going to uh, try to appease the fans uh, to a certain level. So uh, I think it's pretty positive. Again, I have a lot of uh, confidence and respect in him, and uh, I'm, of course, really looking forward to the movie. A few other Star Trek-related uh, bits of news this past week. The Star Trek, uh, the tour, kicked off uh, last Thursday in Long Beach, and it looks very, very impressive. There's some uh, video of it up online. Go over to trekmovie.com. Uh, I think there's some things up on YouTube also now. It is really spectacular looking. Uh, they have a original series bridge set up. They've got lots of different set pieces, props, costumes, models, all kinds of things. This uh, this is a lot more impressive uh, of a display of Star Trek uh, sets and items and memorabilia than I had even expected. I thought it was going to be just mostly static stuff, but they have a little transporter set you can sort of hop into. Just all kinds of cool things. And they had William Shatner there and a few other Star Trek stars last week. Uh, they talked to him a little bit about... Uh, the tour and about not being in the movie it looks like he's kind of become uh, a little bit more accepting of the whole movie he wished everyone well he hopes it's a big success he of course again said he's not in the movie he had wished he was but again you know like jj said uh he had died in the movie of course they could have worked around that somehow had some kind of flashback in the past or whatever but it would have probably been a fairly short cameo. So anyway, Star Trek The Tour, which is going to be in a lot of different cities, I think about 40 until it's over uh, years from now because it's going to spend a lot of time touring the United States. Uh, I'm not sure. I thought it was going up into Canada, but I'm not sure about that. Just check StarTrek.com. You should be able to find all kinds of information about that. Come in. Captain, we are ready to leave Starbase 515. Thank you, Lieutenant. Proceed. Aye, Captain. Computer, rock the Juno, please. Computer, begin recording communique. Dear recent graduate, allow me to congratulate you on your graduation from Starfleet Academy. The education and skills you have worked so hard to attain will take you far. The only thing that you lack is experience, and the only way to gain that experience is through an assignment. The mission of the USS Tiberius includes a commitment to diversity, and our campaign for new officers relies heavily on this dedication. I have personally reviewed countless applications for assignment aboard my ship, and have narrowed the candidates to a select number of very impressive individuals. I believe that you have the creativity, talent, and dedication required to make a supportive addition to our crew, and as such, I am pleased to formally offer you a position aboard the Tiberius. Here, you will strengthen your education and gain the experience needed to round out your Starfleet career.
while finding a family among the stars. To confirm your acceptance, reply to this communique at the Treks and Sci-Fi Forum. Upon receipt of your acceptance, I will personally contact you with details of your assignment. If you have any questions or need assistance, please feel free to contact my assistant, Star Trek Fanatic 5, via personal message in the Treks and Sci-Fi Forum. Again, my congratulations. Sincerely, Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn, USS Tiberius. Computer, in recording. And send the message. Captain, to the bridge, please. Okay, thanks, Kenny, for that RPG recruitment message. Uh, yes, we are starting up uh, now a new season. Season 5 will be starting uh, basically today, I believe, on the forums. TreksinSciFi.com is the place to go. Click on the forums link, and if you're not a member of the forum, sign up, and you can hop right in, create a character, and uh, join into the fun of the RPG game. Contact either, uh, like Kenny said, his... Uh, Handle on the forum is Star Trek Fanatic 5. You can contact Jen, who is another moderator of that uh, RPG game. Or you can contact myself, Rico, on the forums. Okay, I've got uh, one uh, little clip here to play from uh, Rick Moyer. This should have uh, ended up in last week's podcast. This is his comments about the Enterprise episode that I covered last week, similitude about uh, Trip and his uh, clone that was created and all that. Uh, I got this clip a little late. I wasn't able to include it on last week's podcast, but uh, well, without further ado, here are Rick Moyer's thoughts about that episode. Hi, Rico. This is Rick Moyer, uh, Moyer777 from the forums, and I just wanted to uh, real quickly comment on the Enterprise episode Similitude. Absolutely one of the coolest episodes that Enterprise did. Really liked seeing um, Trip in several different stages of growth. Kind of reminded me of when uh, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, when they did the different uh, stages of Spock's life as he grew back into an adult. Uh, just a kind of a cool moral dilemma that they had to go through, and it was just neat to see the actors and actresses uh, working through all their different uh, dilemmas there. Uh, and trying to save Trip. So it was a very, very cool episode, and uh, thanks for reviewing it. And uh, that's I give it about a, oh, I'd say, four and a half stars for Enterprise. I really enjoyed it. So thanks, Rico, and uh, everybody in Treks and Sci-Fi. Have a great day. Bless you guys, and uh, be cool. Well, thanks, Ricks, for your uh, comments about Similitude. Yeah, it's a great Enterprise episode, one of the best. And again, like I said, for people who uh, maybe weren't really a fan of Enterprise, I think that's a kind of a standalone episode even that you could watch and really show how good those actors and some of those stories were. So uh, thanks for your comments. Okay, one last thing uh, to talk about uh, before we get into the main topic, which, uh, like I said earlier on this podcast, was, was is going to be was going to be is going to be about Gene Roddenberry's uh, television sci-fi movies, uh, non-Trek stuff. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the Terminator uh, new TV series, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, or whatever that hugely long title is, Terminator. The Terminator, or I think it's Terminator: The Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Anyway, they had the the two episodes premiered last week, uh, Sunday, uh, last Sunday night, and a Monday here in the United States at least, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. I think they did a good job uh, uh, translating and getting it kind of up to speed on the small screen. You know, the movies, you know, kind of 
pinned them into a little bit of a corner for a few things, and they had some unique uh, ways around that. I'm not going to give away exact details of the plot in case people listening haven't seen it yet. Uh, but I think the cast is good. They have the young John Connor again. Uh, and and Sarah, obviously, Sarah Connor has been recast, uh, played by the actress that was uh, King Leonides. Uh, I don't know if I say that name correctly, but in that movie 300 last year, his wife, Lena Headley, I think is how you say her name. She's a British ac- actress. She is uh, Sarah Connor on the TV show. And then, of course, they have uh, Summer Glau playing uh, this uh, other uh, new character, called uh, Cameron, who is uh, a good Terminator, basically, to uh, help them out. So uh, this is uh, it's a good show. I, I think they're treating it very seriously. Uh, there are a few little things that maybe they're taking some liberties with, things that are different than the movie. But, of course, to make it into a TV show, I don't think there's really any choice in that. Uh, but it is exciting. The production values are good. And it's uh, some new sci-fi on television, which is great to see right now so check it out i think it's normal airtime is going to be or is monday nights i believe 9 p.m eastern time but check your uh, local listings it is on fox monday nights okay without further ado let's get into uh, some of these uh, gene roddenberry tv movies that uh, i've been wanting to talk about for quite a while I want to say uh, first uh, a big thanks to uh, someone named Tim Peterson, Timothy Peterson, who I've emailed back and forth with a couple of times. He was kind enough to send me a couple of these that I didn't have on DVD. They're not really that readily available. They have shown up on the Sci-Fi Channel and other uh, show or other, excuse me, other cable uh, networks from time to time. These uh, TV movies, they're about 90 minutes. But he sent me a DVD with a couple of them on there. I had one of them already. But that helped out a lot, directed me to uh, several websites to uh, find out information. Now, I saw these back, uh, as they say, back in the day when they first aired on television and then a few times in reruns since then. So I'm, I was pretty pretty familiar with uh, these shows over the years. I had seen them uh, quite a few times. But uh, I thought it would be fun to talk and to bring out some clips and just discuss these movies because there's a lot of Star Trek influences in them, and you'll see that as we go. The three that I'm going to talk about uh, in order of the way I'm going to discuss them are, uh, the first one's going to be Genesis 2, which is playing right now on the forums in the little Flash uh, streaming sci-fi theater that I put up there a few weeks ago. So check that out, Genesis 2. Then we'll be talking about Planet Earth. And the last movie that we're going to be really mainly discussing is The Quester Tapes, which is not part of that same series. So with, uh, as I say, let's get going. (laughs) Uh, The first one, Genesis 2. This movie, let's see, I've got some notes written down here. Let's see what we have. This movie first aired back on March 23rd, 1973. It starred uh, an actor named Alex Cord, who was later, for those familiar with the TV show Airwolf, he played Archangel on that show, kind of Stringfellow Hawk's little mentor, the guy who gave him his missions and assignments. Alex Cord played in this movie. He played a character called Dylan Hunt. Now, the first thing I'll say here is Gene Roddenberry has certain things that he seems to like to do in sci-fi and one one thing he does with these uh a couple of movies here i'm going to talk about and then later on the television show andromeda which we're not really going to discuss too much this week 
is he uses the same character name. Dylan Hunt is the name of this uh, main character in Genesis 2. He's the name of the main character in Planet Earth, which is actually sort of a continuation of Genesis 2. And then Dylan Hunt's name is the same name uh, that uh, Kevin Sorbo is given for the TV series Andromeda. I don't know. There must be something about that name that Gene really liked. But let me give you a real basic plot synopsis of this first movie. And I'm reading this off of, there's a pretty good Wikipedia entry for Genesis 2. So check that out if you'd like to find out a little bit more. It says, in 1979, NASA scientist Dylan Hunt is working on Project Ganymede, a suspended animation system for astronauts on long-duration space flights. As chief of the project, he volunteers for the first multi-day test. Basically, there's uh, this sort of chemically-induced suspended animation that they're working on in order to allow astronauts to go on to longer space missions. Of course, though, something goes wrong, and there's this earthquake and cave-in thing that happens when he is first put into the suspended animation. Everyone kind of around him is sort of buried in rubble, and he alone is, uh, you know, he's already been put into this deep sleep. And just like in Buck Rogers, he sort of is in this deep sleep uh, coma-like state until uh, the year 2133, where he is uh, awakened by the uh, remnants of society. There's been sort of a, a final world war, a third world war, just like, again, Gene had always mentioned in Star Trek. And that kind of had wiped out the civilization that we knew. And there are uh, sort of new, mainly two civilizations that sort of have popped up along with some other little groups of people living about. Um, there are the Turanians, who are... Uh, mutants they possess like real uh, strong physical powers and they also have two navels <laughs> which uh which was sort of a gene roddenberry uh, little uh get back at the uh networks and the sensors in the star trek days if you really look carefully in the original star trek series you'll notice that you never really can see the belly button of any of the girls on the show they they hide it pretty well uh and uh, gene you know, he was, uh, you know, he liked to see girls in skippy outfits. There's no denying that. And that kind of always bothered him. So when he created Genesis 2, he gave the um, these Turanians uh, sort of a double circulatory system with two belly buttons. And there's a couple of scenes with one of the actresses. Mariette Hartley is in this movie, who also had appeared in Star Trek. And you'll notice, again, that Gene uses some actors and some behind-the-scenes peoples in these projects that we've seen before in Trek. He uh, used William Ware Thesis, for example, for the costuming and clothing in Genesis 2. And uh, besides the Tyrannians, there's another organization in the future here when Dylan Hunt wakes up called the PAX, which uh, stands for peace. And they're a very Federation-like group. They're, uh, they go out and explore the planet. They're, they have very peaceful ideals. They won't uh, take lives, even if their own lives are in danger. They they won't kill to just survive themselves. They they really abhor abhor uh, I can't say that abhor violence. They don't like violence. They don't like killing, and they are very like I said, very Federation like. Even probably more extreme than Starfleet and the Federation are always. You know, they'd always. Well, they didn't really like to take lives, but when push came to shove, they would defend themselves and do it if it was necessary. So. So that's kind of the overall plot summary. There's uh, some details we'll go into. I've got some clips, about uh, five or six clips from Genesis 2. And uh, one thing, I, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, all these uh, things I'm going to play for you and all these movies here 
were basically pilots. These were uh, Gene Roddenberry's attempt to get a new sort of sci-fi series on the air. And this first one, Genesis 2, was his attempt to create sort of another future society only into the 22nd century. But, uh, and again, in a way for him to do new sci-fi episodes on television. So let's get on with the first clip, which is in the early part of the Genesis 2 movie. My name is Dylan Hunt. My story begins the day on which I died. My last look at my world was to be from inside a pressure chamber at NASA's underground laboratory in Carlsbad Caverns. Support system readout, please. Support system channel 5. Support system readout, good. Stand by on EEG. Stand by on All set. So that's uh, Dylan Hunt there getting ready to uh, get put into uh, the suspended animation state that he'll, uh, it was supposed to only last a few days, but it ends up lasting uh, like a hundred and, what is it, 150 or so years for him. Then he is awakened in the future by the Tyrannians, and I'm going to play, uh, play that clip for you right now. Oh wait, wait a second! Did I say that he's awakened by the Tyrannians? No, no, no. He's uh, he's first rescued and awakened by the group, the Pax. So uh, listen to uh, the clip now. Then he's wondering who we are. A rock wall buried this whole section of the caverns. They gave up looking for you a long time ago. It is the year 2133. Yeah, so they're uh, just like Buck Rogers. He's, you know, Buck Rogers on the TV show, at least. He was in his little space shuttle out in in, um, deep space, and he got uh, his ship uh, went into sort of a weird orbit and got a little damaged, I believe, if I remember correct. And he had... uh, been flung into an orbit that would take him uh, 500 years before he would be awakened. Well, Dylan's just, uh, it's just been 150 or so, but big changes. They have this very cool under uh, these uh, called sub shuttles. They use this in both um, the Genesis 2 movie and in Planet Earth. They're like uh, transport tubes. They look a lot like the little monorails uh, in Disneyland, except they run through tubes uh, underground and they're, they enable uh, people to tra- transverse you know, very large distances very quickly. These things just zip along, and there was a whole system of them built across the globe, which uh, was sort of another way for Gene to create a system, just like the transporter in Star Trek, to, uh, you know, allow the characters to get from one place to another very quickly. They wouldn't have to spend a lot of time each week, you know, hopping into, a like, a plane or a car. Even they had the ability to get from one place to another very fast, just like the transporter allowed the, you know, the characters in Star Trek to do it. So uh, a slick little system and, and kind of uh, pretty cool, I thought. Uh, they do a pretty cool job with the effects on that. It goes underneath these tubes, laser cut through the ground. And uh, again, this is an, a way for them to get from one place to another quickly. The next clip here is a, a little scene with uh, Dylan Hunt and a Marriott Hartley character, whose name uh, is escaping me right now. I'll have to look that up in a second. But uh, she shows off her two little belly buttons. So listen to this. 
I'm a mutant. We Terranians have two hearts, greater strength, superior to humans in almost every way. You don't say. Yeah, so uh, so there you have sort of a little Kirk and alien girl, although just sort of a mutant scene in this uh, a lot like Trek. Uh, her name, Marriott Hartley's character, is Lyra Ah. That's what it is again. So we have Dylan Hunt, Lyra Ah. Uh, also another uh, pretty cool actor here who played uh, Lurch in the Adams Family. Ted Cassidy is in these uh, Genesis 2 and in Planet Earth. He plays a, a big character, one of the pack's team, called Isaiah. And uh, he actually gets to say some lines and act a little bit rather than uh, what he normally gets to do uh, in the Adams Family or in other things that he, other productions that he was able to do. So. Anyway, let's go back to uh, the story. The uh, So, uh, Lyra Ah, Marriott Hartley's character, is sort of undercover with the pack. She leads Dylan Hunt away. They want him to repair this nuclear reactor. It is just sort of a plot to uh, allow them to launch some uh, weapons at the packs and destroy them to start another kind of war. And Dylan kind of creates a little bit of a rebellion and uh, blows up the reactor, I think. is Yeah, that's what happens. I just watched this again yesterday. Oh, it was only yesterday, but uh, this uh, the next clip though. This gives you a little bit of a feel about what the packs are all about and how they're uh, a lot like the Federation. And this is, I think, a discussion between Dylan and some of the packs team members. I'm Dr. Callum, packs, and this is Singh, Team Communications. And you are the favorite man from the past who swallowed every lie that his first mutant tried on him. We've heard that you're repairing their nuclear generator tomorrow. Why? Is, is there some objection to their city having a reliable power supply, too? Have you not seen this is evil place? It was a few doubts that brought me out looking around tonight. But I'm not exactly in love with your Aunt Hill, either. So it is true what she told that council. She used your illness to keep you secluded. You saw practically nothing of Pax. Pax was founded by people alive in your time. People who revolted against the great conflict. They took over the caverns to preserve the books, music and art and, and decent ideals for when the world might try to rebuild again. Then why the secret teams of agents everywhere? Are you asking me to believe you're here infiltrating good books and culture? Come, we show you why this team is here. Yeah, at the end of that clip there, you can hear Ted Cassidy's very deep, distinctive voice. Uh, it's pretty cool to see him in this movie outside of his lurch uh, outfit and makeup and everything. Uh, he does a good job here. The you know what they show him, what they show Dylan Hunt there is that they're basically the they're using humans as slaves, uh, and of course that's uh, that's not so good. So he gets to see really that the Pax team is who he really probably better fits with than the Tyrannians. Um, so that's uh, that's something he's a, a little bit uh, shocked at, uh, and he ends up having to uh, cause this explosion. It kills some uh, people of the Tyrannians, and the Pax uh, people are not very happy with that. So I've got one last clip to play, and then we're going to move on to Planet Earth. This is towards the end of the Genesis Two movie, and you can hear a little bit about the discussion about that uh, with Dylan and some of the Pax members. 
Dylan Hunt. There's a question we must ask you. Did you take lives? A couple of technicians, certainly. More if they were there hooking power to the silos. There were thousands of lives at stake right here. If we trade one life for a thousand, couldn't we justify a hundred for more? Perhaps ten thousand for still more? That same reasoning destroyed your world, Dylan Hunt. I've just saved everything you've fought over 150 years for. If you join us, Dylan Hunt, you must swear to give your life or any of our lives rather than take another. Well, I'm not sure I've got that kind of guts, Primus. We all must, this time. Yeah, so there you have the ending of uh, Genesis 2. Very uh, cool little concept for a television series. Would have been interesting if it had uh, happened, if it had turned into a TV series. The interesting thing here about this, uh, like Gene Roddenberry was a, was a writer. He had a lot of episode concepts and scripts prepared for this already before they uh, even got uh, the green light to do a TV series that kind of went to the wayside. And uh, if you go to the Wikipedia entry, they list some of these. I just want to mention a couple of them. Some of these ideas here got later uh, used in other uh, productions, uh, Star Trek-related and otherwise. Listen to this one, for example, uh, on this episode concept, Robots Return. The advanced computers and sophisticated machinery left on a moon of Jupiter by a 1992 NASA expedition have evolved into a new form of robot life and visit Earth in search of the god which created their life. They meet Dylan Hunt, formerly of NASA, and consider him a messiah. Oh, what does that sound like? <laughs> yes, that's basically the whole basic story and plot line for Star Trek The Motion Picture. Now, again, remember, Genesis 2 came in 1973 or so, and the Star Trek The Motion Picture came in 79. So, interesting thing there. Here's another uh, story concept. This one I really liked. And some of these scripts were fleshed out and sold by... Uh, Gene and, and Majel Roddenberry's company, Lincoln Enterprises. I actually have this script somewhere stuck away. This one was called The Apartment. Uh, this is uh, Here's the synopsis of that. Trapped inside 20th century ruins by a mysterious force field, Dylan Hunt is catapulted through a time continuum back to 1975 where he can be seen as a transparent-type ghost by the girl living in the apartment there. A bizarre love affair with a surprise twist ending. And this basic plot appears later on an unused episode uh, for the Star Trek Phase 2 series. Remember, that was the series uh, that was going to uh, be the new Star Trek TV series before they decided to make Star Trek The Motion Picture. And that episode would have been called Tomorrow and the Stars. So, very cool episode idea there, I thought. I always liked that concept of someone being thrown into the past, but not really being completely there, just sort of as a ghost-like figure. You know, they always do these time travel episodes in Trek and other other uh, productions, and it would be kind of cool if they did it that way one time, where maybe only one person could see them or something. Uh, so, if you'd like to look at uh, some other information, like I said, uh, I will try to link uh, that Wikipedia Genesis 2 entry in the podcast notes for uh, this week. Let's move on now to Planet Earth. 
Okay, Planet Earth. Planet Earth was a the second attempt by Gene Roddenberry to create a uh, future uh, society in a sci-fi TV series in a television pilot. Uh, this first aired back on April 23, 1974, about a year after Genesis 2. The basic concepts are still here. Uh, Dylan Hunt is a uh, man out of time. He is uh, in the future. They they skip over. They don't rehash how he gets there or anything like that, really. It just all takes place, this movie, in uh, the year in the future that he woke up in, uh, 2133 about. He is now working with a group, uh, a team, a PAX team. He is team leader for this group. And this uh, story is basically revolves around... Uh, what, what they uh, describe as women's lib, if people know that term anymore, women's lib gone mad. Uh, Dylan Hunt gets caught up into, uh, they find this uh, group of women living out there in the uh, outskirts in, in the wilderness, I guess you could call it, uh, where uh, the men are sort of uh, treated uh, very, uh, as, as second-class citizens or even less. They're basically slaves and under, under the control of the women in this group. And uh, the reason Dylan Hunt's out there is one of the, uh, their team members gets injured early in this movie, and they need a surgeon who was last seen out uh, in this area where these uh, women live. So they go out to try to basically save him. The big change really here is that the character of Dylan Hunt is played by a new actor. This time he's played by a, a very seasoned actor who's done a lot of movies and TV over the years. He's still alive and, and kicking in his 70s. I even saw him at a Star Trek con, uh, well, not really a Star Trek, a, the comic con that they have in Motor City here in the Michigan area. Uh, last Was it last spring, I think I saw him, or the spring before that? Anyway, he, uh, the actor I'm talking about is John Saxon. He plays Dylan Hunt this time instead of Alex Cord. Uh, couldn't really find out exactly, you know, if Alex Cord wasn't available, if there was a big reason. Maybe somebody listening, if you'd like to email me, treksf at gmail.com. If anyone's ever heard of uh, the reasoning behind uh, replacing the actor playing Dylan Hunt, uh, you know, it is a year later. Perhaps Alex Cord was busy with another project or whatever, or perhaps uh, Gene was looking for somebody a little different as a character. I will say that the that uh, Dylan Hunt's character in this version of uh, Planet Earth, or in Planet Earth, as compared to uh, the Genesis 2 story, this uh, Dylan Hunt is a lot like Captain Kirk. He's very Kirk-like, the way he acts, the you know what he does. There's there's scenes in this movie that he has to sort of interact with this women's uh, uh, group that's living out there, and he, he, he basically you could have taken that character and called him. Kirk, and you would have uh, understood the whole situation, if you know what I mean. So um, let's uh, let's get into a few clips. I don't have quite as many of this uh, uh, movie that I collected. I didn't collect maybe as many as I did Genesis 2, because a lot of the concepts here are the same, and I think the plot's a little bit... Uh, I don't think it's quite as interesting, maybe, a story. It's kind of more funny and a little humorous at places uh, than the Genesis 2 plot was, but uh, I think it's still an interesting movie as well. So here's uh, the first clip from Genesis... Or, sorry planet earth it is a new earth new peoples and new customs in some places bizarre savagery in others advanced cities everywhere new challenge and new adventure and this is also the story of dylan hunt lost in 1979 in a suspended animation accident over a century and a half later in the year 2133 he was found and awakened by the people of this city called pax peace the one place on Earth which escaped the final conflict of the 20th century. 
the one place on Earth where civilization did not perish. Dylan Hunt is one of them now, leader of a PAX science team exploring a much-changed world, part of the PAX dream of rebuilding on Earth a new and wiser civilization. Their mission is mankind, rebirth of planet Earth. Yeah, one thing I, I haven't, I don't think mentioned or described very much for people that uh, aren't aware of this fact. Back in this time period in, in television in the seventies, a lot of uh, television shows started off this way. They would create these little TV movies. There were uh, ABC especially had these TV movie of the weeks they would show. Uh, I can remember distinctly that uh, Kolshak, the Night Stalker, started out as a television movie. A lot of uh, a lot of other uh, television shows. Uh, were created, like I said, TV movie pilots, and then if uh, the, they were popular and the ratings were good, they would turn them into television series for the next season. They kind of still do that now, but I think we don't see nearly as many pilots being aired as we used to see on television. Uh, you know, they just kind of are aired for networks, and then they weed out what they like, and then we end up getting a series. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate, really. I, I wish there was a way with all the technology that we have now, internets and TiVos and Apple TV and all that stuff, it seems like it would be kind of really a cool thing to have pilots go out and, and have people kind of vote on them and, and, and have some kind of a system for um, determining what episodes or what uh, TV shows go on. I think it would eliminate a lot of these problems that they have when a new TV show pops up and then, you know, after two or three episodes, they yank it from the air because the ratings are that, aren't that good. Uh, not necessarily if the show is bad or not, but I think it would give them a better gauge on the popularity of a concept, perhaps. But I digress. So let's go on. Here's another uh, clip from uh, Planet Earth. No, don't know. Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan, do you recognize me? I'm not drugged. Who's he? My team leader. Well, he's an antidote to the dink extract. Mix it with water when you want him to be himself again. We came here to find you. You need it urgently at PAX. Urgently? Pater Cambridge needs heart surgery in the next 15 hours or he'll die. <laughs> Yeah, how do you like that uh, funky 70s uh, background music that they use? It's a, it's a little bit odd. Um, this, the situation that was going on there, um, when Dylan and, and his team go out to try to find this uh, surgeon, uh, they, they find, like I said, this women's society out there. And the way the women keep the men docile and keep them basically operating as their slaves is there's this uh, chemical extract that's mixed in with their food and sort of basically makes them kind of dumb and stupid and very fearful of the women. And as long as they keep eating, this this gets into their system, and Dylan falls under the influence of that. Uh, the guy they're after there, the surgeon, learned about that situation, and he stopped uh eating uh, the tainted food enough so that he could keep a clear head. He was sort of still staying there undercover to find out what uh, the situation was. The uh, And then, of course, they, they, they saved Dylan here. He's, uh, he's revived or, or pulled out of his little uh, stupor that he's in. There is one clip that I want to play for you. My brother and I always got a kick out of this scene in this movie. I remember we watched this uh, when it would show up on, on television or in reruns, and 
the uh, the men in this women's society that's out there is called they're called dinks. They call them they're D I N K. And there's this scene where once Dylan gets his faculties back, he basically uh, gets uh, the the head woman leader of this group uh, gets her drunk basically to escape in that, uh, and she's played by Diana Mulder. Who, of course, showed up in Star Trek: The Original Series, played Pulaski on the second season of TNG, and so forth. And again, here's another example of Gene using actors that he's comfortable and familiar with. So, uh, Diana Mulder playing the uh, the women leader of this group, and this scene here is between Dylan and her, and her uh, saying, "You know, you don't act like a proper dink, dink." So, listen to this. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I know I'm balanced because I feel balanced. Perfectly, perfectly. Perfectly? Not quite. Our bio, our bio, you know what, are nearly there, pussycat. See here, Dink. You may not call me. What did you call me? Pussycat. Don't talk like a proper dink dink. <laughs> you certainly don't act like a proper dink dink. Dink dink. <laughs> what shall I name you? Already got a name. Say hello to Rip. Rip. Rip Van Winkle. Born February 3rd, 1944, Fire Creek, Colorado, in the good old U.S. of A. Colorado? Mm-hmm. What do you think of that, my girl? So that gives you a little uh, a little bit of a taste of what I mean about how Dylan Hunt's character is a lot like Kirk in this movie. The, the plot plays out, uh, you know, they get uh, the surgeon guy uh, who's also, this is kind of interesting, his name is John Connor. Jonathan Connor uh, is the surgeon. John Connor, like in the Terminator show, kind of interesting little tidbit there. But they get the surgeon back to Pax. He saves the guy and all that. So I'm not going to play any more clips from this. i got to get on to Quester. But uh, I did want to say that they have these uh, mutants out there that attack the women, and this is what gets the men to revolt and protect the women, and they decide to stop giving them the little extract to make them docile. These uh, these alien, or not alien, excuse me, these mutants that attack, uh, I think they're called the Kree or Krieg or something like that, they, are, um, they have these forehead ridges, which is very reminiscent of what the Klingons end up looking like in TNG. So I found that kind of interesting how they they were already, you know, Gene had it in his head to give someone that type of makeup. And if you see this movie sometime, you'll see what I'm talking about. So so there you have Genesis 2, Planet Earth, both uh, Gene's attempts to create a uh, sort of future world for people to explore, a lot like Star Trek. Now the next show that I'm going to talk about here to wrap up this look is... Uh, called uh, excuse me i was going to say one thing last last i wanted to say yes that's what it was the the one other thing i was going to mention about planet of genesis 2 is there was one more 
uh, kind of attempt, although Gene didn't really have anything to do with it. It came out in 1975, another year later. It's called Strange New World, and that's about all I'm going to say. Look it up in IMDb. John Saxon also shows up in it. He's not playing Dylan Hunt anymore, but it is sort of a very similar tale of a guy and a group of astronauts. They, they're in suspended animation, and they wake up in the future, and the world has been changed. So check out Strange New World on IMDb. Okay, on to Quester. Quester, I think, perhaps is is maybe the best out of all of this. This uh, is a very much uh, Gene Roddenberry's attempt, again, at a uh, television show from a TV movie. Quester is basically tells the story of an android that's created. His name is Quester. The name of this movie is called The Quester Tapes. And uh, the android that's created, Quester, is very data-like in, in the way he views the world. His, uh, he's assembled and he's programmed, but some of his programming is missing. Just like Data, who can't experience emotions pretty much throughout TNG and even into the movies a bit, uh, Quester's programming is incomplete. He search, uh, searches out his creator in this movie, and he, he doesn't really quite act human uh, completely, even though he uh, his appearance does... At first, it starts out a little android-like, but they slowly make him into... Uh, he Actually, he sort of finishes himself in the movie to make himself look very much like a human being. The character of Quester is played by Robert Foxworth, does a great job in the role, very, very good job with this character. Uh, Jerry Robinson is sort of his little human guide and mentor, is played by Mike Farrell, who is famous for uh, being on the TV show M.A.S.H., and this is a great movie. I really enjoy this one a lot. A lot of cool concepts. And again, like I said, the character of Data uh, on TNG is basically Quester just revived uh, for uh, Star Trek. So let's go on. I've got the uh, first little quip, clip, clip, quip, <laughs> clip for Quester. Here you go. Good evening. What are you doing here? Vocal inflection. Yes. Interesting. I asked you what you're doing here. Who are you? To the first question, I am scanning various minutiae in search of required data input. As to the second question, I am part project quester. Really? Okay. Who are you? If this is to be an information exchange, then the next interrogative is logically mine. Who are you? I am Allison Sample. Allison Sample is Professor Vaslovic's media intermediary. Uh, his secretary. Well, that helps, uh... A total outsider wouldn't have known that. Outsider. To mean a stranger, a possible threat. To relieve apprehension, I can supply further information. Jerry Robinson is the assembly engineer on Project Quester. He was employed by Vaslovic for... You know Jerry very well? He has been closer to me than any other human yeah there's uh, of course a lot of quester talking to uh this uh 
Vlaslovic's secretary person. Uh, you can hear Robert Foxworth sounding, of course, very robot, android-like. Uh, and that slowly goes away throughout this TV movie a little bit. It still stays there, not, you know, it doesn't disappear. But at first, when he, this is early in his creation in the movie, uh, it, it's very apparent and distinctive. Let's go on to another clip here. This is uh, first uh, Jerry Robinson, the Mike Farrell character. He hooks up with Quester, and they go off on this little uh, sort of quest and adventure to find uh, who had created Quester, really, uh, who had designed his program and designed his parts and so forth, uh, this Vlaslovic character. They go off uh, hunting for him, and here's a scene between the two of them while they're on this airplane together. Uh, good, uh, good scene and good character information here. Maybe we're not so different. At least you know you are alive, part of the world of living things. In my case, I almost stated that I feel loneliness. Is it possible that I was meant to feel? And that this was among the things erased from my creator's tape? I've no idea what Veslovic intended for you, Quester. I'm sorry. Quester? First time you've called me by name. Mr. Robinson, thank you. Slow down. Nobody can read that fast. Okay, there's uh, another scene here I'd like to play, a little clip for you. Uh, We're going to move through the last of these uh, three or four more pretty quickly. Uh, This uh, this clip is uh, where they're in a, a gambling casino, and there's some interesting lines here. Uh, between Jerry and Quester. So listen to this. That's going to be a little bit difficult to explain to a machine. It is the biological continuity between the male and the female. Yeah, yeah, but it's a combination of uh, biology and booze, liquor. Interesting. We will observe humans mating here. Oh, no, not very likely. <clears throat> See, these people here are really involved in quite that way. I mean, they're involved, but... Uh, well, actually, uh, you could. It's all really very involved. Is there anything else I can explain to you? Something games? I'm still analyzing your last explanation, Mr. Robinson. All this is much simpler. Elementary mathematics. Place your bets, please. As you said, we require specie. We need money. More colloquial? Better. But I only have $26 left. You have doubts. I have calculated the variables and will simply measure weight, shape, direction, and energy required to expose cube faces we desire. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that you can throw any number you want? Can I expose any combination of cube faces? Quite simply, by calculating the friction of the tabletop plus the angle and energy imparted in the cubes. Or is it immoral to use my sensory apparatus in such a fashion. No. No. After all, they do call these games of skill. Yeah, so uh, so they're able to get some money uh, to do what they need to do and move around. Uh, Quester plays craps, and uh, and he's able to uh, pretty much roll what any number he wants, uh, which is kind of cool and uh, pretty interesting. So there's a couple more clips here I want to play for you. Uh, the next one's a good scene. You know, a lot of this movie has to do with the friendship between uh, 
Jerry Robinson and Quester and how they, they become pretty close by the end of the film. And the the television series that would have gone on would have shown that relationship uh, even more so. Actually, one of the problems uh, I read about that the reason it didn't end up being into a TV made into a TV series and just uh, stopped is that uh, the the network wanted to drop the Jerry Robinson character and kind of let Quester off on his own, hook up with a bunch of different women and, and lots of uh, things like that. And Gene didn't really want that for the show. He wanted this about a uh, an android who slowly became more human and learned about humanity and had a guide along the way. So listen to this next uh, clip here uh, between Jerry and Quester. Since we first met, I have observed expertise in many areas where you doubted yourself. All my data indicates that this should be a most pleasant experience for you. <laughs> Please help me, my... Is it permissible to refer to you as my friend? You referred to me in that way earlier? Right, I did, didn't I? I'm beginning to think of you that way. Funny. Funny. It is amusing to be friends with a machine, Mr. Robinson. No. No, it's not amusing at all. And as friends, I think we should make it Jerry. friend, Jerry. Come on, let's get ready. You will establish the necessary relationship with Lady Helena, my friend, Jerry. <laughs> Checkmate. Checkmate. Now this refers to the game of chess. <laughs> it also refers to having been had. Yeah, good good scene there. Uh, oh, I can see we're uh, we're over an hour on the podcast. Uh, I try to keep them usually around that, but this one uh, got a lot to cover this week, so we're going to probably end up at about an hour ten or so, give or take. Uh, two more clips I want to play for you. I think these are important. The next one is pretty interesting because you're going to hear the Android uh, Quester say a certain line that Data used to say occasionally on TNG. So listen to this clip. So that is what your friend could not be dishonest about. He did not make love to you. Neither did he receive any information. Is it your intention now to begin where he left off? If vital to an exchange of information, I am fully functional. It is required. I don't think I've ever had so much difficulty in knowing how to answer a question. I have merely answered your interrogatives as factually as possible, madam. Perhaps I've forgotten how to talk to honest men. Suppose I were to admit that I knew this Vaslovic of yours. I would be gratified. Okay, there you have uh, uh, Quester saying that he is fully functional, just like Data said in that episode of uh, TNG, The Naked Now, and I think he mentioned it a couple of times throughout the series. So Gene slipped in uh, another android here that's fully functional. 
Now, uh, I'll, I'll just kind of give you the final plot line and the way this all works out. They eventually track down Vlaslovic's uh, character, uh, Quester's basically programmer-creator, and it turns out he's a dra- android as well. He's basically the in a whole long line of androids that have been living on Earth and among humans throughout history. And basically, they're sort of protectors. They sort of watch over human civilization and kind of help out and give us a little bit of nudge or a push here and there when things are uh, in trouble and certain you know certain characters in throughout history may have done the wrong thing. Uh, they're they're basically sort of protectors and watchers of human society, and I think it's a very cool and interesting concept here that uh, there has been this uh, group of androids that came here hundreds of years ago, millennia ago, or whatever is mentioned in the movie, to sort of watch over us. And Quester is the last of his kind. Basically, they say if mankind lasts the next couple hundred years, which is Quester's lifespan, we'll be, uh, we'll be good to go and we'll, uh, we'll have survived our sort of infancy of civilization. So here, listen to the last clip of Quester, and I'll be right back. Have you received the truth? I have received it. Since the dawn of this world, since our masters left the first of us here, we have served humankind. Each of us, at the end of his time, assembles his own replacement. But the new radiations affected the plasma in my brain case. Your design corrects this flaw. You will function your full span as planned. Not entirely as planned, my brother. Your activation tapes were tampered with. You arrived here in time. I am incomplete, Veslovic. I cannot feel. I am incapable of experiencing the emotion which you and humans can feel. Then you will need to be guided in this by a human. So yeah, like I said, uh, Jerry Robinson turns into uh, you know Quester's sort of guidance uh, counselor and and human uh, um, you know a friend basically for him to uh, interact with people and to know what's right and what's wrong a little bit more and and to help him learn about emotions and those kinds of things. So good good movie here. For, uh, for viewing, still really holds up well, at least in my opinion. I think uh, really cool, and uh, I'm also going to try to get this up in the sci-fi theater uh, on the Trex and Sci-Fi forums in the next uh, week or so for people to view, because these things have been really hard to find, uh, surprisingly, with everything coming out on DVD these days. Uh, Genesis 2, Planet Earth, the Quester tapes, uh, still uh, pretty rare and unavailable. So uh, look for them. Sometimes they do show up on, on television, uh, the Sci-Fi Channel has uh, shown these occasionally as well. So, hope you enjoyed this look at some of Gene's other work uh, that he did in the mid '70s. His uh, his attempts at other sci-fi and television. I think it's very interesting. A lot of Star Trek, uh, obviously, uh, Star Trek similarities in these shows, and, and Gene's take on what he thought the future would hold, and and the kinds of things that might happen. So. Uh, A very, very short break, and I'll come back with a very quick review of a new collectible that I just opened this morning. Okay, everyone, we've got to go through this really quickly, but I said at the beginning of the podcast that I talk about a collectible, and I'm going to do it. The uh, collectible is, uh, this is from Sideshow Toys. It is a, uh, what they call an alien's diorama. It is, uh, did I, how did I say that? (laughs) Diorama. 
It is basically a little statue, a little uh, statue from uh, the uh, second of the Aliens movies, although this is sort of a generic look, so it's not really that critical uh, that you say when you look at this, you say, oh, that's from uh, the second Aliens movie. Basically, it's a three-piece item, a base, sort of a pedestal in the middle, and the alien on top. And I I don't have a lot of... um, there have been models and other little statues put out of aliens and things like that over the years, but I, I didn't really have anything like this, and uh, I thought it would be kind of a cool, it's a nice little item. The finish on the alien, I think, is really done well. They have some shading and the the you know the whole structure of the alien with all the skeletal uh, tail and, and uh, everything like that, or whatever it's called, prehensile tail, is that what it's called? I don't know. But, you know, the just the look of the alien that sits atop this little pedestal is, is very cool. They did a nice job finishing it. This just came out. Uh, I just got this yesterday and opened it this morning. came from Sideshow. Uh, they're doing a line of these. They did one from the first Alien movie, which has the alien sort of peering out uh, amongst all those chains. If you remember the first Alien movie when it sort of would swoop down and attack uh, one of the characters, it was up with uh, all these different chains inside the ship and, that was the first one, and they're doing this one, and I think they're doing some others from the other films as well. So I'll put some pictures up on the uh, collection gallery for you to view it, and in the podcast notes, there will be a link to it there. Okay, gang, as always, or as uh, each week, uh, it always comes to this point uh, towards the end of the show and uh, where I wrap everything up. Uh, I hope you enjoyed everything this week, talking about the Trek trailer Uh, Gene Roddenberry's other um, sci-fi projects and TV movies that he worked on, other bits of news and information. I think it was a a good show. I enjoyed uh, going over this stuff. I know it's it's not very well known. I know a lot of people may be listening had never heard about these projects before, but I think it's interesting to look at uh, some of these uh, older things occasionally and bring out something that you may not know of and you could kind of seek out kind of hidden treasures, uh, so to speak. So, With all that, I'm going to wrap it up. I will uh, announce uh, next week's podcast on the main website, treksinsci-fi.com, later on today. Uh, Also, it'll be showing up on the forums, like I usually post a little blurb up there of what's coming up next week as well. So until then, everyone, hey, go see Cloverfield and check out the Star Trek trailer on the big screen. Until next time, this is Rico signing off. Bye-bye. Well, it's a new ship, but she's got the right name. Now, you remember that, you hear? I will, sir. You treat her like a lady. And she'll always bring it home. This has been a Rick Dosty Podcast production.